So this evening, uh, been requested to give a desana reflection. This is always implies being coming from the present moment. Uh, I keep thinking, you know, the, the identity of being a teacher, of being an ajahn. Then you you got to teach people something about Buddhism. But then uh, over years of being an ajahn, you realize the only thing worth pointing to is the present moment. You know, you endlessly, you know, after you've said everything about Buddhist history and different kinds of Buddhism and history of Buddhism and and views about meditation and gone through the whole kind of uh, uh, subject over and over again of Buddhist this and Buddhist that, then what really is useful is the, you know, it, it settles into this present moment here and now. The Pachubana Dhamma. And it's, it, it, we're used to thinking in terms of past, present, and future. So, you know, our thinking mind's conditioned like that. And we believe very much is that, and, and that is our reality, is time, is real, and, and my past and my future. And then, of course, the present moment is, uh, can be completely ignored, worrying about the future or remembering things that happened in the past. All of Buddhist history is about the past, isn't it? You know, how it began in the, in the Gotama, the Sakyamuni Buddha, and then Theravada Buddhism, and then the, how the order was established and the Vinaya established, and, this, and then how it was developed and spread. And this is, this is all about memory, Sanya Sankara, and, uh, and not, not diminishing this in any way, but putting it in a context of Dhamma. Because then we're, you know, this, uh, the Buddha was teaching Dhamma. He wasn't teaching Buddhism or Buddhist history or Buddhist philosophy or Buddhist psychology. <laughs> uh, in fact, the Buddha wasn't a Buddhist. So this is uh, this is said to to kind of contemplate the use of language also, being aware of how you know how our own language affects us and how it limits us as long as we're bound and limited by our own thinking process, then we're caught in in those values of right and wrong, good and bad, past, present, and future, best and worst. And that way of looking at life is very conditioned, you know, and it's very, and, it, and we, and if they create the, the suffering in our lives, because life can never, we can never get our lives to be at their very best. And if we do, we reach peak moments in our lives, and you can't sustain it. When you really feel everything's wonderful and perfect, Try to sustain that and see how long you can keep the peak going. And so this is where the, the reflection, contemplating the nature 
the natural law, Sapawa Dhamma. And it, this is like laws of nature or this, this word Dhamma is sometimes best translated as, as nature itself. Because the English word nature is, we tend to associate it always as some kind of thing outside ourselves. And so sometimes surprises me when I think of how, how many years of education I've, I've had in universities that, that I never felt a part of nature. You know, nature was something you went out to. You went out to look at nature by going, looking at the trees or the mountains. But the Buddha was bringing this, this, this uh, word nature or Dhamma as the here and now reality. This is, this is natural right now, this moment. Nature itself is now. It's not to go out and commune with nature. I have to go outside and look at the tree or the stars or whatever. So in the, in the way of thinking then, Buddha Dhamma Sangha become a kind of abstract ideas or concepts. Uh, but how many of you really internalize that? How do you... Buddha right now, what is... What is Buddha at this very moment? And this is a way of questioning, you know, to bring the reality of now, be conscious of now. And if, if one takes refuge in Buddha as some, some kind of abstract idea of some force or some energy, Buddha nature as some kind of, you know, possibility out there or something we have to find, then of course we we are still stuck in the thinking process of I'm this person I'm this body I was born 73 years ago and I'm now <laughs> this age and I'm and my future and so forth. But when I bring attention to that, pay attention, uh, this is called mindfulness, bringing awareness to the thinking process then any concept of self is a condition I create. A concept of me being anything, good, bad, being a monk, being a man, or being a woman, being um, somebody with a, an age of the body and whatnot, that, that is memory, isn't it? That's sanya, sankara in the five khandhas. So, in this direct approach, this observing the way it is, then you're, you're noticing sanya sankhara. You're not, uh, you know, as in the reality, it rises here and now in whatever way it's happening to you at this moment. The sense of, of you know, if you're thinking or feeling any kind of emotion, uh, sensory experience, the pleasure, pain, um, feeling happy, sad, miserable, depressed, elated, um, worrying about the future, regretting things of the past, all this, whatever is happening now, what it is in terms of Dhamma is, it is a condition. And all conditions are impermanent. And so this, this observing, noticing impermanence, not from a sense of, of imper, you know, impermanence, noticing impermanence, 
but from this Buddha knowing the Dhamma. So in, in this, this refuge in Buddha then is not is not some kind of sanya sankara refuge, some idea of Buddhism or some view about Dhamma. It has to be reality here and now. It can't be, you know, some vague idea of Buddha, Buddha energy in the universe or Buddha of the past. So this is where when you examine, you get to the root to really see Dhamma, then it's a matter of really recognizing this is Buddha right now, this awareness. When there's this, this alertness, because this is the alert, consciousness with alertness, attentiveness, awakenness, and then the the object that that which is observed is, is recognizes conditions. You know, you can be aware of a feeling of of uh, thinking, emotion, sight, smell, taste, touch. So then, that's dhamma, or the the way things are. That all conditions are impermanent. Now that which isn't impermanent is not something that you know you can you can you have a concept the unconditioned unborn uncreated or amaravati or the deathless uh, amata dhamma only can imply uh, something that is not that which is not conditioned and that is the refuge here and now isn't it the awareness then. Awareness itself, this simple uh, attentiveness to the present, is the unconditioned. Now, it's not conditioned. I don't create it out of desire or ignorance. It's just natural. Now, I'm trying to think about this and figure out, you know, what I'm saying. You just get more and more confused. Now, I mean, because trying to, to think about the unconditioned, you have to always use conditioned thoughts to think about it. So it's not a matter of, of uh, you know, trying to decide whether there is such a thing or not, but to, to, to stop thinking, to not, not try to figure it out, or to observe the, the desire to define it or intellectualize it. So awareness itself is, is this very direct path. The ujjupatipano, which we chant, you know, the Dhamma, direct, here and now. Santidiko akaliko Dhamma. So acknowledging this, recognizing, it's just this. And this morning I was going through the collection of accumulated uh, things that abbots of monasteries seem to it gets so much printed matter these days it just stacks up and uh, I've got these files and uh, everybody you can print anything now and uh, so you get, I get all kinds of interesting things too, you know, and I'm not 
complaining really, but you collect things and then oftentimes you you don't you've forgotten what you have. So I happen to come across this uh, Xerox copy of uh, some article from the Middle Way years ago called "Exhausting the Sound of the Drum." Is it? Uh, and it's uh, this Burmese monk uh, who was, uh, you know, it's his story about he he uh, he was a scholastic monk at first, and he was, you know, reading all the scriptures and learning Pali and everything. Then, then he suddenly became aware that just just having this kind of knowledge was not liberating. So he he uh, he decided to practice. And of course, so much of Burmese, what is called Burmese meditation, is very methodical, you know, and very strong methods and ways of that, that are clearly kind of stated on how to develop this and cultivate that. But there is this um, called the Tiger Cave Sayadaw. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of this. <laughs> but the Tiger Cave Sayadaw was, was this very direct approach. And uh, of course, this is very much what I find of value after all these years, the directness of the Buddha Dhamma. I'm, I'm rather weary of the indirect approach. I don't, you know, to know more about Buddhism and collect more information. Because now you can, you know, you, you can get everything on internet. You can, <laughs> you can, and get translated into English and and uh, there's so much Buddhist information that, you know, it's endless. Uh, just a supply of uh, stacks and stacks of literature. Uh, all, you know, m most of it probably very good, but at the end of the day, you know, none of it liberates you. So this uh, this uh, bhati bhata or practice is uh, is uh, what is encouraged because the bariati you don't need to know that much you don't need to know everything about Buddhism and you, uh, the, you know the uh, the basic teachings the essential teachings good enough paticca samuppada or four noble truths. Is uh, you know, I found that that's what I've used. Uh, just to to uh, internalize this, to make it, to really use it in a practical way, to apply it to the here and now. Because I could tell years ago when I was a samanera that it was was no point in just learning about Buddhism. Uh, because I was learning it from already a very conditioned mind, uh, uh, an intellect that had been highly conditioned by uh, Western civilization and by Christianity. Because I was brought up in, in a Christian family and by and through the values of Western civilization. So how I, you know, the very thinking process, uh, the, the, the assumptions were very much colored by my thoughts and even though I, I considered myself a Buddhist yet I still had so many kind of way my thinking process still had these this taint this color color uh, kind of 
stained with Western values, Western ideals, Christianity. And, it's, and none of this is very direct. In the, the whole Western, my Western conditioning was never about direct awakening, but in belief, in grasping information, in, in uh, learning things from outside, going to school, acquiring knowledge, uh, taking degrees at universities, uh, learning what the great philosophers wrote, or the psychologists, and uh, great minds, the sages of the past, or the scriptures, what the scriptures tell us. And so this is, uh, you know, this is kind of, and I'm not kind of put it down, but put it in its place. Because as long as we're, we have bound to our own cultural conditioning and thinking process, then even the Dhamma, it, it tends to be seen from, from that distortion, from assumptions, from ideas that you've read about or some teachers told you or some way you've interpreted scripture from your own cultural positioning. So this very direct approach is is getting, you know, is yoniso manasikara, this Pali word, getting to the very root, to the source, meaning here and now. It's not, a, it's not about getting deep samadhi, because this is another delusion we have about, you know, I've got to get deep samadhi to really penetrate the Dhamma. And, uh, and then we, we try to practice methods, samatha practices or various methods or with this idea of getting samadhi that's deep and, and, and that very sense of being deep is a condition, isn't it? It's a, what, what is deep samadhi? And then you, you, you know, you might be able to create some kind of idea of it, some desirable state that you, you don't feel maybe your samadhi is deep enough yet. And then I, you know, I've been criticized because they, they say, well, Ajahn Sumato, you know, he, he already has deep samadhi. How do you know I have deep samadhi or not? I've never said that. And you just, you know, idea that I somehow I've been at it so long I have very deep samadhi. And what is deep and what is samadhi and all these are, this is where we began to, you know, ex explore, investigate, and this is like Buddha knowing the Dhamma, this is direct knowing of the way it is. So now this, the Buddha simplified for us because in these, these essential teachings, it's very, it makes it very easy for us. Uh, because he, he pointed out just to, you know, uh, all conditions are impermanent. So that means everything, everything we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think, remember, feel, good, bad, right, wrong, heaven, hell, Everything that we experience, whether it's subtle or coarse, uh, light or heavy, deep or shallow, whatever its quality. So even deep samadhi is, is a nietzsche, uh, not to mention shallow samadhi. <laughs> so it's not about deepness or in a, doing something in order to to get deeper and deeper into the practice or 
uh, or thinking that you you know seeing yourself always from the critical position of my samadhi isn't good enough or I you know seeing yourself always in terms of evaluating you know, who you are and your ability to practice and where you're at and what you should be and or what you think you should be what you think you are and yet at this very moment what I think I am awareness of that so just observing you know when I do this you know like training in this way for so many years it's like it's now it's very simple because the you know you just this this becomes very clear this awareness what it is it's real it's not it's not a a created state that I can only get when things are subdued and quiet and peaceful it's it's not dependent on how well I'm feeling physically or or not. It's just, it's just, it's immediate. It's here and now. It's reality. So Dhamma is reality. And so this moment, here and now, this is reality. It's here. It's now. And there's awareness, awareness of it. Now, when you try to think about it, then you you're looking for something. So this is where uh, to let go of the thinking process and just trust in awareness itself which includes everything in this moment it's not it's not trying to find anything or find out what's real now or to look for reality but to let go and observe be the puto knowing the dhammo the buddha knowing the dhamma so this for me is like listening i used to in in Thailand, you know, and lived in monasteries there that were very kind of primitive and they didn't have even electricity. Uh, most of the ten years that I lived in the Thai monasteries in the northeast. And they had no kind of, you know, so you always had to have, uh, you didn't, you had to have these little paraffin lamps. If you, if you got more senior, you know, they, these were kind of status symbols. Uh, little paraffin lamps with a wick and, and that was a luxury item most of the time you just got maybe candle stubs or something you might get a whole candle if if you're if it's a good day where somebody gives you a you know a whole new candle but when, you know in the beginning we're very poor actually and Wat Pong uh, was was quite poor and so you uh, you know you didn't uh, you just took what you got and and Lung Pan Cha was not into favoring Western monks above the rest you know so I didn't you know I got what the rest got though so as I was is my first Pansa as a bhikkhu was with Lung Pan Cha I was at the end of the line so I got the stubs of candles and and a box of matches and things like that. And so a lot of the time, you know, you had to sit in the dark. And uh, and if you have trouble sleeping, uh, and then you're sitting in the dark, you can't, uh, in the, you, can, you know, you, maybe you can light the candle, best, the most light you can get. And you don't have electric kettles to drink tea or things like this. So you really put on the edge of, of material existence. 
But in the process of that, you're reflecting on Dhamma. Like sitting in the dark, you know, I'd start, I just start examining, looking at darkness. You know, just something so obvious. I sit in my kuti in dark night and look at the darkness. And just contemplating, uh, you know, then the, the thought would, I can't see anything, it's too dark, there's no light. And of course this brings up the sense of, you know, I, it's the fear or just wanting to go to sleep, there's nothing to look at, it's better just to close your eyes and try to sleep or uh, you can imagine things, you know, if you're in a mood where you start imagining uh, ghosts or snakes or all kind, you know, anything in the dark that could poss possibly be, uh, you know, snake or a um, tiger. I never, never imagined a tiger, that would make a lot of noise, but snakes and uh, other creatures uh, could possibly be there. And then contemplating this, just this reaction of this, this feeling of, of, you know, because a whole lifetime up to then of, of when it's dark, just shutting down, you know, shutting down, going to sleep. And then, in, of course, my own cultural background, we always had electricity. So if I couldn't sleep, I could switch on the light and read a book or distract myself with something else. But in, the, in the, this situation, there's nothing to do really and yet this sense of examining awakening to darkness because uh, at that time in that particular moment my eyes were wide open I was looking at darkness and yet I thought I couldn't see anything so this is a sense of self that I'm you know I can't see unless I have light I need light to see, and if it's dark, I can't see. Though, then, then that is the sense of a self, isn't it? Of, of depending on light, in order to see. But then suddenly, I had the insight. But I'm seeing the dark. That's seeing also, isn't it? My my eyes are open. I haven't closed them. And I'm looking at darkness. It's like this. And then I recognize that, that that's consciousness also. I'm conscious, seeing, looking at darkness. And that consciousness is light. So that, the, you know, suddenly the, it, 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 the, it clicked, you know. I thought, this, this is, consciousness is light. It's, it, it's, it's, you know, the, the light's on. I'm, there's consciousness. There's knowing, there's awareness. The eyes, I'm not blind, it's not, not that I, you know, I have a, 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 the eyes aren't working, they're fully, you know, awake and looking at darkness. So this is like investigating, getting to the source beyond just the, the reaction. Because the cultural reaction, if it's dark, can't see, go to sleep. Conk out, you know, nothing to do. Or if you do go practice, you know, close your eyes and try to get deep samadhi. And uh, maybe I can get deep, deeper samadhi this way. Now listening to this, this sense of 
uh, of a, a, the assumptions one makes about such, such um, ordinary experiences as that, looking at the darkness. And consciousness itself, this is, this is a natural condition. You know, I don't create consciousness. It's not something that, that is culturally created. There's not an, an American consciousness in it. English consciousness or a Thai consciousness. Consciousness is, has no nationality. It's not male or female. You say, female consciousness is like this and male consciousness is like that. Then you're, then you're caught in, uh, in, uh, you know, in ideas about what male and female are and what nationality is. But if you recognize that consciousness this is natural. We're naturally conscious. And yet we can, we, we may not recognize pure consciousness as our reality because we're always putting things into consciousness. Me and mine. Uh, my view, my fear, my, my, what I want, what I think, what I desire, what should or shouldn't be. Uh, my particular reaction to the dark or to uh, the Thai monastery or ideas of practice or deep samadhi or there's nothing to do but go to sleep. So this, this awareness of these reactions, this was like Yoniso uh, Manasikar, uh, getting to the roots right in the present by investigating there is this consciousness now and then what arises in consciousness you know feeling of uh, uh, you know emotional feeling or heat or cold or pleasure pain uh, restlessness doubt worry plans for tomorrow so this, this awareness then is aware of the arising and the changingness of conditioned phenomena that we experience in consciousness. We know we create those conditions out of habit. Personality is a habit formation. It's not, it's not, you, you aren't born with a personality or with a culture or with a language. You know, that's acquired. That's something you, you get after you're born. But when a baby's born, it's conscious. Consciousness is is uh, complete. So this examining this, uh, that consciousness is here and now. Before I create myself into it. Now, when I say this, and it's like listening, because how I've really observed the sakya ditya of self-view is listening to my thinking process, thinking about me and what I think, how, my life, my past, my future. It's all about, all of the conditioned sense of a self. My worth, whether I'm good monk, bad monk, Buddhist or whatever, advanced or not all of it. It's just seen, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a creation. And then this which is aware of that thought, is not a creation. 
because I don't create consciousness. It's not mine. It's not. It has no sense of be belonging to me as a person unless I start thinking about it. My consciousness. And then, as soon as I put the my under the word consciousness, it's no longer. It, it becomes a projection. It's associated with the sense of me as a personality, and which is separate from you. My consciousness is. And I can even think my consciousness, your consciousness, the same consciousness, but it's still thinking. It's not. It's not really seeing it, or recognizing, realizing pure consciousness. But pure consciousness is real. You know, and this and it's recognizable. So in the Four Noble Truths, it's you know the is to recognize it, realize it. It's reality. It's not anything you find. It's not an object, not a condition that you, you, you see, but something you recognize. But that which you can fully recognize. So this is um, this is very direct. Now this uh, then gives us in this in this article of this this by this Burmese monk, how the, the the Tiger Cave Sayadaw, this is his whole, you know, this is what he's teaching. This very direct awareness practice. So good to hear these things because so much of what, you know, my experience with Buddhism is that it, it's so indirect, so full of views and opinions, methods, and, and, and uh, you know, it gets too complicated. And it's not. It's ultimate simplicity. You can't you can't get more simple than this. Awaken here and now. How do you awake here? And now? <laughs> then you complicate. <laughs> so it's imminent, isn't it? It's not not not, not something uh, that you have to practice doing, but recognize it's just this. Recognizing it then is your willingness to give up. To let go of your thinking process. Not, I'm not saying you don't think anymore. You know, it's not not a kind of an attack a, against the intellect or learning, but it's it's a, it's a way of investigating, uh, not through analysis, because analysis or reason, all that is is a function of the thinking process. So when you try to figure things out. Through analysis, you go around in circles because that's the way thought works. It's not liberate. Thought doesn't liberate. So it's through observing thought. Thinking is like this. So in being in a position of, in that I'm in, you know, because I've been in England now 30 years, so and I've been uh, involved in a kind of leadership role for those 30 years, uh, being a teacher and, and uh, head monk monasteries and upachai and all this kind of thing. So the, and then this of course brings in one's uh, ideals about what, a, what an abbot or a head monk of a monastery should be. And of course this brings in the, the, the cultural reactions of it being you know, brought up in that kind of society which is 
you you're responsible. You're taking on all these responsibilities. A leadership, you have to teach the Dhamma, you have to teach the Vinya, you have to make sure that everything is done right, the, the, and that, um, you know, you're trying to, you get into the sense of, I am responsible for this, and if I fail, it, you know, I'll be blamed, and I, I want to, I want, my intention is to do the best I can, be a good abbot, and, and try to help, uh, you know, bring Buddhism to the West, uh, all very kind of altruistic and, and, and high-minded ideals. But still, that whole sense is involved with the self. I am senior monk, I'm Ajahn, I'm so forth. And I have to be responsible. So then I noticed that in that assumption, when somebody accused me of being irresponsible, how upset that would make me. So somebody, you know, it's, it's, some people would think I wasn't being responsible enough, or I was irresponsible. And then, then I'd get, feel very angry at that person. Because, uh, you know, there's so much self involved in the identity of being responsible. So taking words like responsibility, because it's an ideal, and it's a good ideal, and there's nothing wrong with it. But it is an ideal that I acquired from an American uh, Christian cultural conditioning. It's about how one should be if one is a mature, responsible human being, if one is a teacher, if one assumes these roles as a teacher, as uh, someone who ordains monks and nuns. You're responsible for them all, responsible for everything, responsible to Thailand. I've felt responsible to Thailand, to Wat Pong, to Lung Po Cha. Even after he was dead, I felt responsible. It goes on and on until, you know, you begin to observe this sense, this word, how it affects and how if somebody then says you're irresponsible, how hurtful that is to me personally. Now that is investigating just a, a word or being teacher of the Dhamma, being Ajahn and Upacha, I'm, a, I'm a, a preceptor or I can ordain. Now notice, now seeing them in terms of Dhamma, it's not kind of dismissing them, it's not saying I don't care, you know, responsibility, just just another concept. And because that's that's the same thing, isn't it? That's just the reverse, you know. I don't have to be responsible. People expect too much and can't please them all and there's too much here. Everybody's too big a monastery, too many people. How do you expect me to be I can get on a personal tirade on that level. And I have people have told me, how can you take it? There at Amravati, there's so many monks, nuns, and people, and uh, busy, and uh, how can you stand it? You know, it's so much to be responsible for. Well, uh, you know, on the level of personality, it would be. It'd be too much for my personality to bear. Because my personality is pretty wimpy, actually. Can't take much stress of any sort. 
So if I depended on my personality as my refuge, you know, I, I wouldn't have, I would have, you know, probably committed suicide or run away or done something else, you know, because, because my personality isn't, isn't, uh, you know, it's, it's idealistic. And it, you know, it's certainly nothing, nothing all that bad. But it, but I do, you know, I can get terribly worried about things. I can spend hours worrying about the sangha, or about what people think, or about being misunderstood, or about doing the right thing, or being blamed, or not being appreciated or somebody disrobes, feeling responsible, if I'd given them more attention, if I'd been a better upachaya, if I had <laughs> given them more personal attention, uh, it, the disrobing is probably because of my, because I'm not such a great teacher, or I didn't give them enough attention. And so one can go endlessly on on a personal level, taking everything very personally. Uh, in 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 a in a social and in human relationship situation, so that's where to to survive in the capacity of uh, you know it, it, so that I don't have to run away or feel burdened or oppressed is to see it in terms of dhamma. So it's a directness. This this. Uh, trusting in this awareness and exploring that, the, the way that I personally feel responsible, not to criticize, just to recognize it. It's not, you know, that I'm thinking I shouldn't, I shouldn't worry, I shouldn't, I'm, why do I have to worry so much? Because that's another self again, I'm somebody that worries and I shouldn't. If I were really healthy, if I had a really healthy ego, I wouldn't worry. And so you, you know, you can get these ideas that there's something wrong with you psychologically. You need, I used to think I, you needed at least 20 years of psychoanalysis before you could function in the world. That's what I picked up in, in studying psychology in university. But you know how expensive psychoanalysis was anyway, or it still is, in those days in America. Only if you were really rich could you afford to spend 20 years going through that. So I had to give up that idea. But anyway, they, this uh, investigation, and this is like vipassana, looking into the way things are. Then we, we began to, you know, the assumptions we make about like feeling responsible for everything is, is also an emotional assumption that, that I never really looked at. I just assumed by taking on the role of an ajahn, of a head monk, then, of course, that implies I'm responsible. And, and then the assumption, you know, not examining that, that word, but merely operating from the assumptions that that word produces in my consciousness. So this is where this uh, investigation, this yoniso manasikara, is getting to the root seeing the nature of all conditions as impermanent. So, and then this anatta, not self. There's, you know, this, 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 it's not 
this per sense of personal identity falls away because you're seeing conditions. You're, the, you're, you're the way I feel responsible for everything. You're beginning to look at that, not condemn it or or suppress it, but recognize it. And that which recognizes that then is that's awareness. That's Buddha knowing Dhamma. That's not Ajahn Sumato, uh, you know, trying to uh, be responsible anymore. But then it becomes clear of what is what I am responsible for, what I want to be responsible for in this position, rather than just assuming because I have these these titles or these these kind of roles in the sangha. Because it's, it's they are all anatta. There's no ajahn, samato, or, or head monk or upachaya. And yet I can assume that I'm an upachaya all the time, as given permission by the Thai Sangha. So I'm permanent upachaya. But in investigating Dhamma, the upachaya means preceptor, one who ordains or gives precepts. This this is something, this is functional, isn't it? That this, uh, when the conditions for ordaining monks and nuns arise, then this upachaya arises at that moment. And that's, that's not self even, that's just, uh, you know, the, the, the tradition or the, the way this tradition, this convention works. So then, you, you know, this is no problem then, because you know, this is this not, that's not really a problem or a burden unless I start identifying with it. You know that I'm I'm personally responsible for everybody all the time. Now this is where the liberation comes is through this awareness of Dhamma. So this this is the real Buddha Dhamma Sangha, and then Sangha as a third refuge is so uh, you know such a beautiful refuge as a human being as this human entity this human body and so you think supatipano ujupatipano yaya patipano chant in the pali those who practice in the right way and so forth so this the practice in the right way is a direct way then this is our it's this 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 being here, this body, this individual here, refuge in Sangha, not in being Ajahn Samedo or being Upachaya or preceptor or anything, but Sangha in Supatipano, right, uh, good practice or direct awareness as an individual. And then Sangha is community too. It's not, it's not pointing to me as a, uh, I'm Sangha, as some kind of personal uh, refuge. It's all of those who practice in the right way. So it's 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 a human refuge. It's about being human, a human individual, but not designating myself as a personality or having any quality other than than uh, you know the refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. So if you notice how psychologically these these refuges affect the consciousness. It's getting outside. It gives you, it gives you terms not to hold to and cling to and identify with or believe in, but they're more functional. They're more practical. They're pointing at, 
at the reality of now, of awareness, direct seeing, investigating, knowing, banya or wisdom, uh, you know, it informs us. We see through wisdom, through discernment, rather than through believing in ideas about Dhamma. So, uh, this is for your reflection and contemplation. Uh, today was uh, Sister Nanda Bodhi and Venerable Loka came to my kuti and told me about uh, Venerable Honda, the Japanese monk who who died very suddenly in Milton Keynes. These are the, at the Peace Pagoda in Milton Keynes. And he's very, I've known him for years, very kind of vigorous, uh, healthy, strong-looking character that, um, you know, was very, very impressive, very good monk. Uh, and, so, and he died mowing the, the lawn. Not here, but so uh, I hope Josh is feeling all. <laughs> and this is a, I mean, it's a, this is a shock, isn't it? When the sun, somebody you know somebody that's kind of you know sickly and old, and they you know they're dying. It's still, still I mean, the, the actual hearing somebody's death. But when somebody you know suddenly out of nowhere they're dead, especially when they you remember them being very healthy. And so this is, uh, you know, just recognizing how, you know, how one's life can be snuffed out at any moment. It's a good uh, messenger for us to think, you know, that we can, it's easy to think when you're healthy and, and young and that, that you, you know, you've got a whole life ahead of you. But then these, these sudden ones, you know, like, that seem to happen for no reason in a safe place. You know, Milton Keynes Peace Pagoda, I can't, that's a perfectly safe place to be. You know, it's not like being on a motorway or anything like that. And then on a lawnmower, I, didn't, I still don't know how it happens. You know, none of the details have, have come to us yet. But it uh, it is a shock. And it shows how, you know, even in the in any place on this planet, this is, this is, uh, you know, this is possible. Any of us could be snuffed out at any moment. So, I'm just encouraging you not to to um, feel uh, anxious about that, but take it like a, we see these things as devadutas or messengers, heavenly messengers warning us about, you know, life is a human in the human body is... Uh, you know, there's no guarantee you're going to last very long, and uh, and this this opportunity we have here, you know, this direct teaching, this the encouragement. I mean, this is this is a very you know wonderful thing that's happening here at Amravati. That that the teaching can be that there's that much interest in it, that many people recognize it and 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 incline towards it these are very good signs and then to to give occasion for these kind of reflections to take place because we do live at a time that is full of stress and at this very time you know you hear hear about the you know this uh, hurricane dean that's blowing across uh, 
southern Mexico at this time, and, and all the, the earthquake in Peru, and the natural, because here we, you know, we're complaining about the rainy weather at the family camp, and I think, well, you know, people spent maybe a fortune going to Cancun in Yucatan for their holiday, and end up in a hurricane. I think this Cancun's supposed to be a very posh resort, you know, ideal kind of paradise on earth. And yet, you know, you go there for your holiday and and uh, get blown away by the wind. So it makes our life here, doesn't, little drizzly rain doesn't matter, does it? But then we'd like, the ideal summer, you know, is sunny and bright and warm. But the way it is, it's like this. And so this relating to the way it is, is, is not just dismissing it, but recognizing, you know, and even our desire for it to change is like this. Wanting the weather, wanting it to stop raining and be sunny and warm is like this. Just examining this, observing it. You know, I don't like rainy weather in the summer. English weather is like this. That which is aware of that, you know, that's what I trust, the awareness, not the complaining mind or, or wanting it to be otherwise. But I can see that and recognize it. And that, then once seen, recognize you can stop clinging and attaching or resisting or fighting with, with the conditioned realm. You can, it's a letting go of it, which is not destroying it, but not, it's not creating problems out of nothing anymore. It's not complicating everything with one's desires and, and prejudices and biases and opinions and views. So then you begin to feel liberation here and now, freedom, free from the onerous, task of becoming somebody, of being somebody, of having to prove something, get something, get rid of something. It's all about personality, conditioning.